Well, let's turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. This weekend, we're looking at the last of the Ten Commandments. And I have to be honest with you, if you think about this commandment initially, this last one, do not covet seems a little bit light when you compare it with the others. I mean, we've talked about do not murder. We've talked about do not commit adultery. We've talked about do not steal. And, and honestly, I, I'm, just, I'm just sharing with you as I began to prepare for this message, I was, I was a little tempted. That, I tell you guys, I never come on this stage without knowing and believing in my heart that what I'm going to share with you is absolutely critical for your life. But I had a little bit of a hiccup when I was preparing for this one. I had a little bit of a hiccup. Just for a moment, I was tempted to say, okay, Lord, I know this is a good lesson. This is a good challenge. But is it really that big of a deal? Don't covet other people's stuff. That's a good thought, right? That's a nice thing for your life. But is it critical? Well, I guess you can tell the Lord changed my mind. Amen? As I began to dig into this commandment further, I realized a couple of things. I realized that actually this is one of two commandments. This one and the first one are the only of the Ten Commandments that deal directly with our hearts. And we've noticed as we've gone through these that certainly there's a heart aspect at the core of every one of God's commandments. But most of these, at least initially, deal with outside actions. But these two, the first commandment and the last commandment, are focused on inside attitudes. They're they're focused on inside choices and desires, which, by the way, all throughout God's Word, God says that's His focus, right? God's focus, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. So that began to kind of bubble up in me that, hey, if this is one of two that is really focusing on hard issues, wow, that's not unimportant. Amen? And I began to realize that the idea of coveting is a bigger deal in our spiritual walk than maybe I was thinking, and maybe as you're thinking. Actually, the word covet, I want you to understand, is not necessarily a bad word in and of itself. The word covet means to desire something earnestly. Maybe some of the older people in our church family, if you've grown up in church, maybe you've used the term, I covet your prayers, right? We hear Christians say that sometimes. I covet, I earnestly desire your prayers. It's very much like we just saying that God is jealous for us. There's an aspect of being jealous that means zealous, that means zeal, that means I have a a deep desire for good things to happen. It's it's spoken of of God, that God is jealous for some good things. But where we need to be careful is when we are desiring wrong things. God calls us to desire earnestly to pursue some things, to seek some things, to covet some things. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But the word covet often refers to sinful desires. We, we desire, the word can just mean intense desire, 
But most of the time, when we as human beings have intense desire, they are not for good things, right? They are not for godly things. So that word covet, if it's in the right context, can mean craving evil things. Craving, desiring deeply harmful or ungodly desires or wants. It's often translated as lust. That's a word we're very familiar with, right, in our world today. And so we can identify lust is a strong desire for something that God does not want for us. It's also related to the idea of greed as well. And so in Exodus 20, verse 17, we read in God's Word, God tells us, do not covet. Do not have wrong or misplaced desires. It's a big problem for us. Listen to this statement. Desire is not wrong. Now let's be clear on that. Desire, in fact, intense, deep, passionate desires are not wrong. They are God-given. What is wrong is misplaced desire. And that is what's being dealt with in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. But if you think about it, that word covet, that, that word wrong desires is actually a good summary of our daily struggle with sin, isn't it? I have desires that are not mine to have. I, I want things that God has not given to me. And so over and over again, God warns us against coveting in the sense of desiring deeply things that God does not want for us. I found it very interesting as I began to study this idea that the Bible warns us about this many times in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens, and that's just that's maybe not the best translation, I urge you as foreigners, it's not talking about little green men, okay? I urge you as people not of this world and strangers to abstain from, here's, there's several words that are used in the Bible that are translated in several different ways, but, but I'm going to try to highlight them as we read them. I, 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 I urge you to abstain from, here it is, fleshly lusts. That can be translated from coveting. From fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Be careful about strong desires for the wrong things. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. The Bible says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. The flesh is our sin nature. That's a word that the Bible uses many times to describe how we operate in a selfish, sinful way apart from God. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to it, here it is, to its desires, to its lust, to its ungodly passions. By the way, I love that idea in Romans 13, verse 14. Make no provision for your sinful nature. I like to say it like this. Don't pack a sandwich for your sin nature. Listen, do you hear what it says? Make no provision. I'm going on a picnic. Don't make a sandwich for your sin nature. What is that saying? Don't feed it. That's exactly what the Bible's saying. Don't provide fuel. Don't encourage. Don't spur on in your life those wrong desires. In fact, I was amazed as I was reminded in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, when, when Paul is talking about our struggle with sin in this world, he actually uses that commandment as an example, do not covet. 
And, and, and over the years, I thought that was just sort of an arbitrary. He just kind of, God led him to pick one of the commandments as an example. Um, not as if God's word is arbitrary, but I just thought it was just an example. But the more I thought about it, God picked that word in Romans 7 for a reason. Paul said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would have not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Translate that, what we just said. I would not have known about wrong desires if the law had not said, do not have wrong desires. In fact, someone has noted that this is actually, this commandment is the root of some of our other actions against the other commandments being broken. We steal because we have something that we see that we strongly desire to have that is not ours. We as human beings murder because we have strong desires that are wrong for something we want and we're going to make it happen. We commit adultery because we have strong desires. We covet something that is not ours. So one Bible teacher said, coveting wrongly is a doorway sin into many other... Are you listening to me? Coveting might be the source many times of the things that we... See, we focus on the outside. I got to stop this or I got to stop that. These outward actions. And by the way, by all means, stop murdering. Stop adultering, right? I mean, I'm not saying don't do those. But instead of dealing with the symptoms, let's deal with the problem. The reason I'm doing many times these other things, a doorway sin into those other destructive sins is because I'm coveting. I'm deeply desiring the wrong things. So what are we seeing and understanding here from the very beginning? That do not covet is not just saying, don't look over there at an item that someone else has and want that item. Actually, across God's word, it's a warning against all wrong desires. And specifically in Exodus 20, verse 17, it says, don't do that. Don't desire the wrong things in relation to the belongings of your neighbor. Let's read that. Exodus 20, verse 17. God's word says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And I want to talk about three different aspects of this commandment that I believe the Lord wants us to understand together. First of all, write this down. Coveting shows, it indicates a lack of contentment. What is wrong with coveting? What is wrong with having desires about things that God has not given to us? Having a wrong desire, I look at my neighbor, and by the way, this is not just talking about don't want what's your next door neighbor, but the guy down the street's fair game, okay? That's not what this is saying. Neighbor means my fellow human being, right? Do you understand that? Okay, I think we understand that, but just so we don't get off on a technicality, but God is saying in His Word, anybody around you that you're affiliated with, that you're connected with, that you have a relationship with anyway, having a wrong desire to have what your fellow human being has that God has not given to you shows that I have a lack of contentment. Let's, let's see what the Bible says about this idea of contentment. Hebrews 13, verse 5. The Bible says, Make sure that your character 
is free from the love of money. There's a good place to stop. Amen. As Americans, we are very surrounded by material things. Of all the people in all the world today, of all the people that have ever lived in the history of the world, we would be the most susceptible to loving money, right? I'm not saying in violation. I'm not saying because of our... I'm saying we have more opportunity to love money than anybody who has ever lived. So we've got to listen to that. Being, say it, being content with what you have. You didn't get my clue there, so I'm going to back up. I want you to say the word content. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul, a great passage in teaching us about contentment. Paul says, not that I speak from all, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and being hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And by the way, the very next verse is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul said, by the way, Paul said it was something, it was a secret that had to be learned. I'm going to have to learn it, right? And it seems like a secret because I don't have it very well. Amen? For just being honest, I'm not naturally content. And it's okay if you struggle with that. It's okay to not naturally come to this. It's not natural for any of us. But apparently the Bible says if God is working in our lives, there is the ability for me to be content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But godliness actually is a mean of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, if I have something to eat and a place to stay with those, we shall be content. This idea is closely connected. Some of you are familiar that the Hebrew idea of shalom. Many Jewish people use that as a, as a greeting or as a departure word, shalom. The word means peace in Hebrew. And it really means a lot more than we think of peace as the, the absence of war. But in a, in a Hebrew idea, uh, peace means, it means well-being. It's, it's, it's not a, a settledness that cannot grow or move or adjust or change or advance. That's not good. Do we understand that? Being settled in that way that I'm right here and I'm not going any further. That's not a good Bible idea. But it is a settledness in the sense of this. Listen, right now, this very moment, I'm in a good place. And while I'm always looking to grow and advance and to move further with God's purpose for my life, that's my desire. But at this very moment, I can say that I have peace in my heart. That I am content. Listen, we sing that song, It is well with my soul. Amen? So you see that? So it's a settledness in the sense of, I'm okay. Uh, things are right. Things are well. I'm at peace. Not that, not that I've, received, I've achieved perfection and I don't think I need to go any further. We're always moving further with the Lord. But it's a, but it's a contentment in our soul. Now does this mean being content? That we can never want anything? That we can never desire for anything? There are some Christians throughout the, 
throughout the centuries who have taught that we're supposed to be sort of free from passion, free from desires. No, absolutely not. The Bible does not teach that following Christ means killing all of your desires. Friend, the Bible says that God created you with those desires and to accomplish or to see fulfilled many valid desires that God wants you to experience. So it's not only okay to have desires, but God wants us to eagerly pursue certain things. In a sense, it almost sounds like I'm going against the message, but I've already explained it to you, so I think I can do that. In a sense, there are some things we should covet, right? We should earnestly desire the things that God wants to do in our life. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Hey, stop there. I should hear praise the Lord. Remember that God is faithful. Amen. Oh God, you're my God. Whatever else it says, amen. He's my God. Amen. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. That can be translated early. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land. Does anybody just want to jump out of your seat and say, amen. Praise God. That's what I'm talking about. When we're singing those songs, I'm just like, I'm glad I get to stand up and speak because I'm about to jump out of my seat. Yes. Yes, my soul is hungry. Anybody else? In a dry and weary land where nothing else, even things that I like, even things that are good, at its best, this world falls short. And so my heart earnestly desires God himself, is what these verses are saying. Verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. One translation actually says, my soul follows hard after you, oh God. Are you in hot pursuit of God and His purpose for your life? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. We just read verses 7 and 8, but a few verses down. I remember as a young, a young man, as, as I was stepping into ministry, one of the very first churches I ever preached in, in Coleman, Alabama. Somebody loaded me up, took me to this church, introduced me to this pastor, said, okay, you're going to preach today. And that godly pastor pulled me aside. He said, young man, I want you to read this verse. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. But flee from these things. If you read above that, you'll see what what to flee from. You man of God, flee. There's some things we should run from. You man of God and pursue. There it is. Seek hard after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness, There are some things we can covet. There are some things we can earnestly desire. Righteousness. I want to live in a way that God created me to live. A right way. Amen? Now, that's not a self-righteous way. Let's don't go that direction like some Christians arrogantly. No, we're just saying whatever God wanted this life to look like, I'm in pursuit of that. Amen? Faith. Love. Peace. With those, as 2 Timothy says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, I want to live... That, that one, that's the pursuit of our lives. It's a major emphasis in God's Word. There are some really good things. Thank God that the Christian life is not just a bunch of do-nots. It's not just a bunch of subtractions. Thank God that the reason God says do not is because there's a lot of counterfeits that come up way, way empty, and that's really an understatement. They'll actually destroy our lives. But once we begin to have victory over the counterfeits, God says, okay, now, let's get in hot pursuit 
of the purpose that I have for your life. So coveting is not necessarily wrong. It is coveting the wrong things. And when I'm coveting the wrong things, it is showing that there's a lack of godly contentment in my life. So God teaches us that it is His will for us that at any given moment, while my desire is to continue moving forward, I can be content. I can be satisfied. I can be grateful in this moment. Now, hopefully five minutes from now, ten minutes from now, five days from now, I'm going to be moving forward with the Lord. But right now in this moment, I can say, praise God. God has been good to me. It is well with my soul. Amen? What's wrong with covetousness? It's desiring what is not, listen, what is not mine. It is desiring what God has not given to me, but He has given to someone else. Can you think right now of three things that you would like to have or you would like to see happen? Write that down. What are three things that you would like to have? And you're scared, aren't you? You know, is this a trick question? Can I write down? Well, I don't know. We said there are some things we can earnestly desire and there are some things that we should not. And so I want to ask you, as you think about that right now, as you think about, I encourage you to go home. God, what are some things? The Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your hearts. Because more and more as I delight myself in God, I'm going to partner together with God and agree with Him for the things that God has given to me. Isn't that awesome? So there may be some things that are on your heart to accomplish and to see happen in your life. Or there might be some things that God is not giving to you. We just need to be honest with the Lord. Amen? And let God speak. Let God confirm that in our hearts. Coveting shows a lack of commitment. It's not being satisfied with what God has given to me. But number two, coveting puts the focus on me and not on others. I want you to think about that. The Bible, listen to what it says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's male servant or your neighbor's female servant or his ox or his donkey. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now notice where that focus is. I see my neighbor over there my fellow man, my fellow human being, and he or she has something, and I say, I want that. I believe God, I'll order some of that. That's what I earnestly desire. Now, over and over again, what was the pronoun that you heard me saying in those sentences? I. Where is the focus? The focus is on me. Friend, that shows a major issue in someone who calls himself a child of God. As a child of God, it's not that your needs don't matter, but instead we trust God to take care of our needs and our focus is not on our needs. We let God take care of our needs. Our focus is on helping others get what God has for them. Have you ever been around a selfish person? Have you ever been around somebody that from the get-go... You feel like you're a means to an end. No matter where you are, they're thinking, I'm going to get in line first. I'm going to have the biggest piece of pie. I'm going to get on the best ride at the amusement park. I, I mean, they're just angling. They're manipulative. Ever been around anybody like that? 
And listen, because we had a little fun thinking of somebody else. But when we do that, and we all do, when we're that person, we are losing the opportunity to be God's servant in someone else's life. Would you think about that? When I'm angling for my benefit, I'm not paying attention to you. Who's the most important person in the room? Obviously me. and, And what needs to happen? Obviously my best interest. So I'm thinking about me. I'm focused on me. I'm not thinking about you. I'm not going to be in tune to you and your needs. And so I'm not going to be able to minister to you as well as I could, or maybe not at all. And by the way, you don't even want me to. Because I'm so selfish and annoying that if I brought God in the picture, you'd say, are you kidding me? Amen? Write this down. A focus on self will hinder at the least or at the most will kill ministry. Friends, some of us are missing opportunities. Many. Would you receive that today? Is it possible that you are receiving, you are missing many opportunities for God to work through you in the lives of others because you're so focused on yourself? Think about it. If you look across the street and you see your neighbor, you see your fellow man, and they've got a new whatever it is you really like, whatever your thing is, and if you and I are busy trying to make sure we have one of those, whatever it is, we're probably going to resent our neighbor. We're probably going to maybe ignore them. We're going to be kind of short with them. We might even steal from them, right? You got one of those things I want. When you turn your head, I'm going to take yours from you. Or at the least, we're going to work so hard to get what he's got. We don't have time to pay attention to what God's doing in his life. I want to repeat that again. Many of us, I don't think in this room, there are people in this room who have stolen from other people. If that's the case, you need to come before God and ask God to forgive you for that. You need to make that right and move forward in repentance and trust in God that you'll never do that again. But many of us in this room, we're we're not going to murder anybody. We're not going to steal. But many of us in this room, maybe it's more subtle than that, We are so busy trying to accumulate the stuff that our neighbor has because we earnestly desire what they have that we just don't have time to spend with that neighbor. You know what? It might not even be a specific neighbor. It might be just in general a perception that, hey, in the United States, in the United States, I mean, it's the reality. If you don't take your kids to Disney World, you're like, are you a parent? I mean, are you like real Are you like, I mean, do you hate your kids? I mean, really, it's like this subtle thing. If you don't somewhere in your picture album, and there's nothing wrong with going to Disney World, I'm all for it. But if you don't somewhere have Mickey Mouse ears on somebody's head in your picture album, then you're just not valid. Did you know that many of us are spending our lives trying to impress an imaginary person in the room? Would you just recognize that? They're not real. Who is it? Maybe it is. Maybe it's my mom. Maybe it's my dad. Maybe it's my grandma, my uncle, my professor, my boss, whatever. Maybe it is an individual because many of us have those people. But many of us are trying to impress a perception. Isn't that madness? Can I just share with you 
if there is a person, they do not really care that much. They don't really care as much as you think. And if they do, and if you've let them down, listen, in the process of pursuing God's plan for your life, if you've let them down, they're not the ones that you're supposed to please anyway. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. The Apostle Paul talked to a church. He said, you are going, you're, you're in danger of missing an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity to be used mightily by God because of covetousness. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Paul says, so I thought it, was, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. And what's Paul saying? What he's saying is he had heard that the Corinthians were going to give this amazing offering to help some other needy believers around the world. Man, they had talked it up. They had a party. They had had a pledge service. People had come forward. There was crying and tears and commitments in a worship service. And man, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's so awesome. And Paul said, but I'm starting to get word that that was just a bunch of talk and you really don't have an offering. I'm just paraphrasing, right? So I sent some people ahead to let you know I'm coming. No, really, I'm coming. No, really. And I'm expecting that offering that you promised, this bountiful gift, this gracious gift. I'm sending them ahead before I get there so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness, by wrong desires. See, we felt good about saying we were going to do some things, but when it really came down to it, I have some other priorities besides this commitment I made to the Lord and to His people. They were going to miss a huge blessing because of focusing on themselves. I want you to think about that for just a moment. And think about how subtle it could be. How many opportunities... To be used by God, have you and I missed in a service like this because of selfishness? Because of, of focusing on ourselves and not others. Maybe something was being shared. Maybe God was doing something. Maybe God wanted to speak to your heart. But you were thinking about the extra work you were going to have to do as soon as the service is over. And I hope it doesn't go too long because I got to get to do that work so I can make enough to get that thing I saw at my neighbor's house. Got to go, got to go, got to go. Hurry up, hurry up. Yeah, yeah, good. Coffee, you know, uh, amen. Welcome. A few praise songs. I'm back to work. And God was passing through and I missed it. Does that touch your heart like it does mine? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. If God is at work, I want to be paying attention. Amen? And nobody's going to do that perfectly, of course. But God, help us. Help us not to be focused on ourselves. Would God have spoken to you about a need for someone else? About a ministry that would have touched and changed someone else's life? James even says, this is a reason that many of us are disappointed in unanswered prayers. We prayed about something. And we say, God didn't answer my prayer. Well, you might be right. Maybe God didn't answer your prayer, but there's a reason that we haven't thought about. James 4, verse 3. 
You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your, here's the word again, spend it on your own wrong desires and pleasures. We're disappointed in God that we asked for something, but was it really something that was according to His will for our lives or was it something purely for ourselves? That's not to say that God doesn't care about your needs. Don't misinterpret that. That is not what that's saying at all. God cares about your needs. God wants to meet your needs and more. This is talking about something else. It's talking about wrong desires that we are asking God for and we're disappointed that He didn't meet. Friends, God is never like that. God is never thinking of Himself more than the others. God is never angling to get something else over to Himself. And if that is me, and honestly, if we're honest, some of us have that disposition. Can we just be honest? Would you be real? Is God knocking on the door of your heart? Robbie, you're like that sometimes. You, you sort of take over in situations. You sort of try to make it work out to your advantage. Is God saying that to you? As long as you and I are operating that way, we're severely limiting what God can do through us. Instead, God wants to teach us. Didn't Paul say I have to learn this? God wants to teach us to truly be happy for other people. Wow. He got one of those, whatever it is, whatever it is you wanted. Wow, she got one of those. He's worked really hard. Good for him. She's done a good job. She deserves a blessing. And yes, if I'm being honest, just between me and the Lord, if you ask me the deepest desire of my heart, would I want one of those? Sure. But I trust God. If He wants me to have one, then He'll give me one at some point. But this is not about me right now. We're talking about this person, and I'm glad for them. Wait a second. Don't do that fake Christian thing. Oh, we're so happy for you. I can't stand her. She gets on my nerves. <laughs> People see right through that fake Christian stuff. It's not pretend like you're happy. Friends, that's what the word hypocrite means in the Bible. The word hypocrite means I'm pretending. So if I'm pretending to be truly happy for somebody, but in my heart I'm saying, I can't stand you. I wish I had one. Get out of my face. You're getting on my nerves. That is the definition of a hypocrite. When I think about this, I can't help but think about, so sadly, Christmas in our culture. Now listen, I know that we love our kids. And we want to be good to our kids and we want to pour out love upon them. We want to bless them. That's a good thing. But listen, if that's your heart, don't worry about sliding them. You're already leaning towards blessing them. What you might need to worry about is spoiling them or teaching them that it's all about them and what they want. Doesn't that, isn't that a great tactic of the enemy? On the, isn't it amazing? On the very, of all days, of all days, God Himself laid aside His own personal interests and died for us. He gave. He was not running downstairs saying, oh, look, I got more than anybody else at school. That's not what God was saying. God was saying, 
I love you. I'm coming for you, isn't it? I hope the lights are going off for you. A tactic of the enemy for that day to be turned into complete selfishness many times in comparison with other people. Now again, kids, please don't. Listen, Pastor Robin's not against presents. I love presents. I love receiving presents. Don't forget, I'm selfish, just like everybody else. But no, seriously. Don't we see it? Of all days, that should not be a day to focus on ourselves. There's one more thing I want to share with you. Coveting shows a lack of contentment. Coveting focuses on ourselves and not others, but coveting comes from not trusting in God. When I look at what somebody else has, and I think to myself, I should have that, but I don't. What I'm really saying is God has not been good to me. God has not been fair. He's not been faithful. I should have that husband or wife. I should have that job. I should have that car. I should have a house like that. I should be recognized like that person. I should be able to go on a vacation like they went on. I should not have to work as hard as I have to work. Why don't they? There was something that I wanted. And God did not give it to me. So I'm questioning whether God is good. I'm questioning whether His way is best. I'm questioning whether God will really come through in my life. Write this down. I can be happy for others when I trust that God is good to me. Amen? I can truly be happy for God's goodness to someone else when I trust. I'm not fighting them. I'm not angling. I don't have to make anything happen. God, I think he's kind of in control. Amen. I think he kind of can move things around. I think if he wants me to have one of those, by the way, many times he wants you to have better than what you wanted. Amen. And many of us have learned that lesson the hard way. Listen to what the Bible says. If we haven't learned it yet, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, God says, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's way will often be different than what you and I wanted or expected. Are we okay with that? I mean, it kind of doesn't matter because that's the way it is. But I'm just saying, we need to kind of get okay with it, right? God's way, let's just go ahead and settle it, is not like mine. I fight that at first, but the more that I experience God's way, I say, thank you, Lord. Whoa, I almost blew it. Amen. Or whoa, I did blow it. Thank you, God, for helping me through it. I don't want to do it again. Amen. I'm scared of my way. I don't see everything. I'm not as good as God is. God's way is often going to be different than what you and I want or expect. So in this world, there will always be some measure of temptation that I think my situation should be whatever. But in reality, it is whatever it is, right? There's always going to be some measure. We've got to learn that that's going to be a temptation. There is always going to be some measure of it's not like I thought. That's to say the least. Amen. Anybody that's lived over 15 or 20 years? So we have a choice. Will we trust God with the path that He has for us? Or will we strongly desire or covet what He's given to someone else? 
And if you're a child of God, you have to pay attention to that commandment. God says, listen, nobody will be perfect. We already said that. That's why Jesus died on the cross. None of us are perfect. Okay? He died on the cross so I could be counted as perfect. God will give me credit as perfect, even though he and I both know that it's not true. Really, I'm not perfect. But he gives me Jesus' perfection so I can have a connection with him, a relationship that will never go away. And now I can, in reality, begin not becoming perfect until we get to heaven, then we'll be complete. But I can be moving more and more towards that perfect plan that God has for my life. And if that is your desire, coveting, strongly desiring what God has not given to you is not to be a part of the plan. Ephesians 5, verse 3. Listen to how strong. Listen, God actually speaks very strongly about this. It's not just a, a minor suggestion. But immorality, Ephesians 5, 3, but immorality or any impurity or greed, there, there's this idea, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And I know what some of you are going to do. Oh, there's that. You've got to be perfect. Oh, not even named, not even a hint. You know, and then we just start going all sideways. Oh, this is too hard. I can't do this. I'm not, I don't, yeah, you're all right. You can't do this. You don't measure up. But that's not what it's saying. God's not saying he wants you to be perfect. He's saying it should be the intent of your heart. I don't even want any little bit of what God doesn't want from me. Amen? So it's not saying you got to live up to this standard. It's saying, is that your desire? I'm not saying I'd like just a little bit of covetousness and maybe a side of God, okay? What I'm saying is, I want the whole meal to be God. That's my desire. It's not always going to be that way, but that is our goal, our desire. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Here it is, and greed. Evil desires and greed, which amount to idolatry. Consider that dead. That's a pretty good image, isn't it? Dead's dead. That speaker right there, it ain't alive. It it ain't going to pop up. It ain't going to talk back to me. It ain't going to go do some work. It ain't going water skiing tomorrow. It ain't going to have any babies. That thing, there's nothing there, right? It's gone. Okay? When you got... I mean, I don't mean to be, you know... um, disrespectful, but really, truly, none of us go to a funeral home thinking they might pop up, right? They might during the service, or or there's hope, they're coming back. Maybe something will work out. We're not thinking that. We're thinking they're gone. Now, in reality, our sinful nature does want to pop up, doesn't it? But the Bible says, consider it dead. I'm not packing a sandwich for it, right? We're making no provision. We're loading up the minivan. There's not a seat. There's not a seat for what I want to do. We're not holding out a spot. We're not going to the hotel and we got four people. Let's get one more because my sinful desires wanted to come along too. I'm making no provision for that. Why would I? Because he's dead. Right? Now he's going to pop up when we get to the hotel. He's going to pop up on the trip. But I'm going to say to him, there's no room for you here. We We didn't pack a sandwich. There's no seats for you. We're, we're getting on a plane. There's no reservation. Amen? I don't want that. God, what I earnestly desire is you and what you want from my life. 
Is that your heart? That is the heart of this commandment. I want to ask you to bow your head for just a moment. As I said, we live in a country where there's a lot of stuff to want. And so this is going to be something that we all struggle with. There's always going to be a relationship that I think is better than the one I have. There's always going to be some kids that act better than you think yours do. There's always going to be somebody that makes a little more money and they don't really to you seem to work as hard for it as you do for the the little that you have it is hard isn't it it is hard there's people you think they've got it all together by the way their house is just as messed up as yours but you think they've got it all together and you wish you had that would you say first of all God I trust you God I trust you that you love me Do you have a plan for my life? God, I'm not perfect. I know I haven't accomplished all that you planned for me. But Lord, it is my desire to follow you. And I believe that I am following you. And so I receive what you've given to me. What joy it must bring to our Lord's heart that his children would trust him like that. Would you just come to your father right now and just say, Lord, I trust you. Maybe just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I'm so concerned about myself and what I want that I've missed so much around me that you're doing. God, I don't want to do that anymore. Help me to be not as concerned about myself, but more concerned about others. And God, I'm going to trust you to take care of my needs as I seek to be used by you in the lives of others. God, would you help me to be content? Would you help me in this moment to balance? How do I do that, God? How do I balance? I want more because you're a God who's on the move and I want to continue moving forward. But how do I balance that with being content in this moment? I can't do that, God. Would you show me? Would you help me? Maybe you're here right now and like those 40 or 50 amazing decisions that have been made this summer. Friend, did you know if 25,000 people had come to Christ this summer, that God would not say, that's good, that's a lot, that's more than ever. That's, that's good. If He knew, and He does, that you had not yet given your life to Him, He would not rest. He would continue pursuing and working and leading us to be his servants in this community because he loves you individually. Who you are, he created you and he wants you to know him. And he wants to set you free from the, the burden of all this stuff we've talked about. Would you trust him right now? Would you say, Jesus, just pray to him in your heart. Jesus, I need you. I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me for my sin. Maybe that's covetousness. Maybe that's adultery. Maybe that's misuse of money. Maybe that's your mouth. We all have our struggles.
But whatever it is, God, I know I've sinned and I need you to forgive me. And I ask you to come into my life right now and to take control of my life. Thank you, God, for rescuing me. Father, we are bound by this sin. It is so strong. We pray that you would set us free so that we'll experience what you have for us and so that we'll be free to be used in the lives of others, not to take advantage of others or to seek profit from others, seek advantage over others. Help us, God. We're selfish by nature. Help us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.